Hi guys, this is Fatal Tales. My name's Katie. And I'm Azra. And today we are doing a Twisted Tale. So we have decided to rename our tinies because they are no longer tiny and we're doing them every other week. So they're going to be Twisted Tales from now on and this is the first one. Basically Twisted Tales are just going to be anything that's not really technically related to... Like, like a big true crime case. Right, yeah. Like a, a full true crime case that we could cover in, like, the normal amount of time. Anything that's not mm-hmm. that. Or, like, multiple or, parts. Yeah. Or anything that really we want to cover. Because this is our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and we do whatever the fuck we want. So, this episode is a case of us doing whatever the fuck we want. So, But it to- is very true crimey, I think. Yeah, I think it's related to the podcast, and I think it's important for us to talk about. I think that mm-hmm. there are a couple things that we want to talk about generally that we feel are important to talk about and recognize as a true crime podcast who, like, talks about and benefits from, like, the negative aspects of crime and the culture that the United States has around crime. We want to acknowledge, like, the problems in things and the fact that America could be a whole lot better at dealing with the things than they are, as well as other countries. But this particular episode is going to focus on America. That's the like area I could get the most statistics for. Um, and America has probably the biggest problem with gun violence in any other country. Right. And yeah, so I, this particular episode's on gun violence, but we might do some more of these that are like, these are systemic issues that we recognize our problems Mm -hmm. and like katie was saying we think it's important that not just we help you guys understand but that katie and i also understand more about the issues that are happening and that are kind of underlying every single probably every single case that we cover even if we don't really realize it or recognize it Right. And to an extent, we're kind of, and this is going to sound like stupid as fuck, but we're we're basically just acknowledging we live in a society, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we live in a society that perpetuates these problems, and we want to acknowledge how they do that and not just be, you know, ignorant about those issues. We want to make sure that we're fully understanding and addressing those and being aware so that we don't come across as tone deaf or ignorant when we're talking about like for instance you know a gun homicide we aren't saying things that come across really stupid Mm -hmm. and and because like true crime like i think a lot of the time is presented as bad person does crime police do their jobs and then bad person is put away in jail because the justice system did its job. When in reality, like, there's a lot of nuance to that and there's a lot of systemic issues underlying a lot of, like, every aspect of that. Right. Exactly. That's exactly it. And that's what we want to try and make sure that we're making clear is that we understand that and that we want you guys to understand that and we don't want to ever come across as seeing talking about like violence in america as just this like fun thing that we do and not like Mm -hmm. i don't know whatever else i I just want to make sure that we are being aware of what we're doing yeah definitely so this isn't going to be like the only one that we do we'll do this one in a couple more about like incarceration and different things like that which we touch on occasionally in episodes but we'd like to do full episodes on them yeah 
So anyway, we're going to get into the case now, or I guess the, the information that I have now. So first we're going to talk a little bit about like just general gun stats in America. I'm going to try to not let this be dry because it's like a lot of it's just numbers, but I'm going to try and make sure that you guys like are not just hearing random statistics, but also like understanding what those things mean in relation to crime and things like that. So first off, I would just like to say we are not sure exactly how many guns there are in the United States because there is no federal gun registry. And in fact, federal law prohibits there being a federal gun registry. So any statistics we have are based on gun sales. And like, if individual states have registries, we can get an idea or individual cities. But not everybody who has a gun is going to register it, even if they're required to. And especially in America, where people are very like, no, it's my gun. You don't need to know about it. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, they're not gonna, like, it's gonna be very difficult in the United States to have an accurate number of, like, this is exactly how many guns there are. Now, that being said- That is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. (laughs) It really, really fucking is. (laughs) Yeah. There is no registry. Yeah. This whole case, or I guess this whole episode, is gonna be me blowing Azra's mind. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think that I'm probably going to be shocked at a lot of the things that Katie says this episode because I don't know much about guns in general and I don't know a lot about gun stats in America or even in Canada, which is where I live. I don't know anything about gun stats here either. And like, I just generally know that the gun problem in America is bad and it needs to be fixed but that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge yeah i even like looking into gun stats in canada because i wanted to have some good comparisons the hard thing with statistics about guns and gun violence in the world is that every country measures things slightly differently so it's Mm. hard to have like analogous statistics and then also Canada, and it may just be because I was looking in the United States, I couldn't find a lot of studies that are, like I said, analogous to what I have for the U.S. A lot of people are talking about and studying the gun problem in the U.S. a little bit more prevalently, especially in, like, newspapers and things like that than they are in Canada. I'm sure that there's, like, government statistics and things like that. I just couldn't, I couldn't find as much as I wanted to. So... I think that it's maybe just talked about a little bit less in Canada also. Yeah. Which doesn't mean that Canada doesn't have a problem. I'm just saying and it's talked about less. And it's not to the scale that America's is. Anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, we're much more regulated here. Yeah. So all of that about the federal gun registry, just to say, we think that there's like somewhere around, but probably more than 390 million guns in circulation in the United States. Oh my god 390 million yes fucking hell yes and that's like a ballpark figure that we think like there's definitely more than this but this is like kind of a guesstimate fucking oh my god okay today about 40 percent of people in the u.s say that they or someone in their household owns a gun so That number is actually down and kind of has been trending down since 1978. In 1978, there were about 51% of people that said that they or someone in their household owned a gun. But 
One thing that's important to note is that over that same time, gun purchases have been trending upwards. So, like, the number of people that say that they have a gun in their household might be going down, but the people who have guns in their household are buying more and more and more guns. So it's like, where in 1978 it may have been that, like, every, you know, 51% of people had one gun in their household, now we have 40% of people who now have two or three or five or ten or a hundred guns in their household. I don't want to say a hundred is exaggerating, because, like, I don't think, I think that there are probably individuals who have at least that many. Basically, we what, have a- What do you, what do you even do with that many guns? Well, it like, depends. what is the purpose? It, it depends. Like- I want to speak from my experience because I think that my experience is very relevant to the conversation that we're having today, but I also don't want to, like, super, like, out members of my family, so I'm not going to say which households in my extended family this is, but, like, in my extended family, there are households where there are no guns at all, And the, like, people in that household are, like, afraid of guns and do not like guns and think that guns are bad. And then there are members of my extended family who have multiple handguns, multiple shotguns, multiple rifles, and they're all used for different things, and they were purchased for different purposes, like... But for, like, why do you need, like, especially handguns, what do you need multiple handguns for? So... Different handguns are good for different things, and that sounds stupid, but it's just kind of how it works. So their handguns are small guns, which means that they don't weigh very much. And as a result, a lot of the time, they'll have a lot of recoil if they're a smaller gun. Also, they can be difficult to hold if they're too small. But uh, the smaller a gun is, the better it is for concealed carrying. So like, for instance, in my extended family, there are individuals who own a few small like very small concealed carry guns with the intention of these guns are small enough that I can carry them on my person if I were ever to have to use them in a situation they're not my preferred weapon of choice they're too small to aim as accurately but an over a very short distance I could you know make an accurate shot if I needed to but like that doesn't answer my question my question isn't why are there different types of handguns and what are the different types of handguns good for like they're smaller whatever my question is like is the like the only reason that people have handguns is to use them against other people right yes so i have a couple of statistics and they're a little bit further down on my list so you'll have to remind me i have a couple points above them we need to go back to but so In the 90s, 57% of gun owners cited target shooting or hunting as their primary reason for gun ownership. So that's like a very large majority of gun owners are saying, I'm either using my guns for target shooting or for hunting. That's the reason that I have them. They might provide protection to me, but I'm more concerned about, you know, I have my rifle or my shotgun to go hunting with, and that's why I have it. Now, in 2017... Two-thirds of gun owners in the United States said that they owned their guns for quote-unquote protection. So we've seen a complete flip of that statistic. It went from almost 60% to 66% basically have flipped their reason for gun ownership Mm -hmm. from being target shooting or hunting to it is primarily for protection and I may use it for hunting or for target shooting, but I mostly have it because I want to protect myself with it. So... 
This is partially due to, I think, the NRA and, like, gun advocates, like, essentially saying the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. They tout this, like, idea of, well, if somebody breaks into your house and they have a gun, you're not going to be able to stop them unless you have a gun. Or if you're out shopping and somebody has an AK-47 and they're shooting up the wherever you're at, the only way that they could be stopped is if somebody had a handgun that could stop them. And that's, I think, where people have started getting this idea that, well, if I have a gun, that means that I can protect myself and my family from other people who have guns. And we're going to talk more about that narrative. I have a whole section on the NRA, and I really I want to dive into that. But I think that that's where this idea comes from. And I know that in my extended family, with my like family members who own guns, that's the idea that they have is, well, if... For instance, I was, you know, out with my family and there was somebody that was attacking us. I would want to be able to protect my family. And that's why I conceal carry a weapon. Or if the government wants to take away guns or the right to own guns and they're starting to, it's like a handmaid's tale kind of a situation. The only way that I'm going to be able to stop the government from doing that is if I have guns to protect myself from that. Right. So that's the narrative. And I, I want to, I want to present this fairly or as fairly as I can while also highlighting this is a huge issue, right? Like Right, because it's like a very flawed argument. Well, and and we'll get into this. I have statistics later. I want to I want to talk about it. But we'll get to that later, I guess is my point. So, I guess that takes me back up to the two bullet points before that I kind of skipped to talk about the reasons that people say that they they own guns. So, one thing that's really I think to me, very scary to note, is anytime that there's political unrest or there's, like, issues going on in the country, particularly if there are issues that are, like, people are feeling threatened by anti-gun advocates and feel that the government is going to start cracking down on guns or make it illegal to purchase guns, gun sales go up. Also, anytime that there's unrest in the country, gun sales go up. So, for instance, in May of 2020, 1.7 million guns were bought. And in April of 2020, 1.8 million were bought. So, obviously, May and April of 2020 are right toward the beginning of the pandemic. There's a lot of unrest. This is right before you have the protests. Black Lives Matter. Right, for Black Lives Matter, for George George Floyd um, and Breonna Taylor and others. So this is a time where gun sales are going up. We have, you know, really high purchases of guns in those months. And that's a trend that anytime that people feel threatened, they buy guns. Um, Kind of makes sense, I guess. If they think that that's their first line of defense. Right. And and if they think that the gun is to protect them, right? If they're Mm -hmm. buying for protection, it makes sense that they would buy them when they feel threatened. Right. Right, yeah. Now... It's also important to note that the U.S. represents about 4 or 5% of the world's population, depending on, like, when exactly you pull that statistic, but they own about 40% of the world's citizen-owned guns. Oh my god. Yeah. And it's, again, it's not the full population of the United States that's owning these guns. It's about 40% 40%. of our population that owns 40%. Which means that it is, like, 
people owning multiple guns. Yes, it is not just one gun most of the time that people own. God, okay. Another thing that's important to note is, so we talked about, like, handguns versus, like, rifles or shotguns. Rifles or shotguns are typically used, depending on what you're buying, for hunting. Handguns really aren't something that you're going to hunt with. It's used for protection. Sometimes people carry them to protect themselves against bears if they're going, like, archery hunting or things like that. But most of the time, this is a gun that you're buying to shoot people. And in May of 2020, the proportion of handguns to lawn guns or, like, rifles or shotguns, it was almost two to one. So for every shotgun or rifle that you had someone buy, you had somebody else buy two handguns. Wow. Okay. Um, That's scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, it's these are people that are buying them with, you know, and maybe they will never shoot anybody in their lives, but there's not really a purpose outside of shooting a bear if you're hunting archery or for self-defense or protection. Right. So even though rifles and assault weapons are typically used in mass shootings so something that's going to be semi-automatic or a fully automatic, most often a semi-automatic, and is going to be good for aiming. So a, a rifle is usually what is used, especially for any kind of a shooting where they were intending to go in and kill as many people as they could. They're typically using a rifle. But if even if, like if you eliminated all shootings by rifles, including accidents, period, every single shooting by rifle... That only accounts for about 3% of shootings in the United States. What? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, I'm dead serious. Okay. So mass shootings offer a lot of casualties at once. And that, you know, that makes sense to us. And we talk a lot about mass shootings in the United States. They are very common um, in the United States relative to other places. But even still, mass shootings in comparison to other types of shootings in the United States are relatively rare. I feel like I hear about a mass shooting at least twice a month that happens in the United States. And they happen almost every day. Like, when you look at the statistics, they happen almost every day. A mass shooting? Yeah. And a so, mass like, shooting, mass if a mass shooting only accounts for that amount of, like, shootings in the united states then how many fucking shootings are happening there are a lot so that's the thing is a lot of them are handguns and and not all mass shootings are rifles i should say there are some that Mm -hmm. someone will go in with a handgun and kill more than five people because that's the classification for a mass shooting but so 93 people die every day from gun violence in the united states 93 I just want to offer a little bit of a trigger warning here. So we're going to talk a little bit about suicide. If that makes you uncomfortable, feel free to skip. I'm going to talk about it for kind of a minute. So maybe skip a couple of times if you're not comfortable hearing any discussion um, of suicide. But 60% of gun deaths in the United States are from suicide. That's 64 deaths per day, roughly. Wow. Gun suicides are roughly half of all suicides in the United States, and having access to a gun nearly triples a person's risk of suicide. Right, that makes sense, because, like, they say that, like, if someone is thinking about committing suicide, and they have, like, a gun at their disposal, it's easier for them to do it rather than, like, 
if they don't have a gun and they have to like have another method not only that but in all suicide attempts that do not use a gun the success rate for suicide that does not use a gun like i said is about four percent whoa so it is very very low odds that if you try to kill yourself in a way other than with a gun you will be successful with a gun like a gun is so fucking deadly with a gun the odds are completely flipped and Mm. it is 90 percent of the time if you try to kill yourself with a gun you will succeed god and this is super harrowing to me like i'm shaking right now because when we talk about gun suicides make up half of all suicides right Mm. that means that there are a lot more people that are trying other methods but they're most of them are failing yeah they're not successful so half of all people who die of suicide right if they were to use another method the suicide rate would fall considerably significantly god yeah and the majority of all people who survive a suicide attempt don't go on to die by suicide so most of those people they would most likely go on to survive and to get to continue Ah. living Oh my god. I know. So, it's important to note, men, white people, and people in rural areas are the most likely to die by suicide. Men make up 86% of suicide. White people are 85% of suicide. There are a couple of studies that have been done. Unfortunately, there are not as many studies as I would really like for there to be on guns in general, but there have been a few studies that have been done that show that waiting periods to buy a gun and requiring a permit to buy a gun are both things that have shown a decrease in the rate of suicides by firearm. That makes sense. So, like you were saying, babe, if you don't have a gun in the house, it's a whole lot harder for you to use a gun to commit suicide. If you can go just immediately buy one at Walmart or at the sporting goods store down the street... There's no barrier for you. If you have to wait two days to get that gun from the time you go to purchase it, maybe the suicidal ideation has passed to a certain point and you won't actually commit suicide with the gun once you get it. Right. Or if you have to have a permit and you have to go apply for the permit to get the gun and cite the reason that you want the gun, you also have to go through kind of those hoops and that prevents you from actually using it when you get it again. Okay. It's it's just really depressing, the fact that... There are so many people that we could have alive today if it weren't for the fact that it is so easy to get access to a gun in the United States and, you know, for households who don't have them, it's still not difficult for you to go out and just buy one today or tomorrow, you know? Yeah, yeah. And those are proven things that we could do to to prevent gun suicide, but gun advocates are opposed to both of those. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. That's... it's simple things that we could do to prevent deaths, yeah. If this many people are dying every single day and there's something that you could do to fix it or to stop it and you don't because, oh, I want to keep my fucking gun, you know? Like, yep. it's just ridiculous. Because what the fuck? You don't need your fucking handgun. I'm sorry, you, but you really don't. Well, and so when you say, like, you don't need your handgun... We talked about how handguns are primarily bought for, you know, self-defense, right? Mm -hmm. People defended themselves from a crime with a gun less than 1% 
of 14,000 crimes that were studied between 2007 and 2011, less than 1% of those crimes were committed and someone tried to defend themselves with a gun. That makes sense. Okay. That totally makes sense because, okay, let's think of a scenario where somebody comes into your home, right? Mm -hmm. And is trying to like rob your house. Most of the time they're not going to do that while you're there. Exactly, which is what a lot of these people are afraid of. But as we've discussed in previous episodes, that doesn't really happen because most robberies of homes happen during the day when robbers know that people aren't going to be in the house because they don't want to run into anybody. Right. But if somebody breaks into your home and is armed with a gun and is trying to rob your home and you know and you figure out that they're in your home, you probably aren't keeping your gun in bed with you or like right next to you while you're sleeping right and if the robber or whoever is coming in with malicious intent by the time you get to your fucking gun they've probably shot you right (laughs) like right i'm sorry but a gun like somebody fucking pulling the trigger on a gun moves a hell of a lot faster than you reaching for your gun or going to look for your fucking gun right and also a lot of people keep guns in safes right what the fuck is a gun in a safe doing for you if somebody's breaking into your home right and even if like if you don't keep it in a safe you should because your teenage kid who's depressed might use that gun to harm themselves exactly so or or you're like seven-year-old kid who doesn't understand what a fucking gun is might act might start playing with it and accidentally hurt themselves right like there's just so many factors here like a don't keep your gun out that's it's if it's not in a safe put it in a safe but also if it's in a safe you're fucking stupid because a handgun's not doing shit for you so right point is you don't need a handgun in your home right and so that statistic i mean Like, look at, we can just even reason it out with mass shootings, right? People say the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. If we had police officers or if we had, you know, armed civilians that were there and it's like, okay, then where are they? Where are they? Why aren't they preventing crime? Why isn't, why, why can't somebody stop the mass shooter? That should be happening a lot more often than it is if that actually was a factor or a thing that worked. It's just the not. reality is that even if you have a concealed weapon, the mass shooter will probably see you fucking reaching for your weapon and then kill you. Right, they're gonna kill you first because they already have their gun out and it's a semi-automatic. Like, right. <laughs> it's just a ridiculous notion. It's yeah. a ridiculous notion. Well, and not only that, but like the f- idea that you would be capable of shooting in that moment, accurate enough to hit the shooter, and not sh- get shot first. Like, no mm-hmm. way. I mean, also, people... there's the question of like, if you would even be able to shoot another human being. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, people talk about, so there's this phenomena called buck fever. So, the idea is essentially that if you're shooting an animal, it is not like shooting target practice. You get anxious, you get nervous, there's like uh, um, adrenaline response in your body, and it makes it a whole lot more difficult to shoot accurately. And people make mistakes, people injure themselves while they're trying to shoot animals far more often than they do when they're just shooting a target because they don't have the like rational thinking capacity to do that well at yeah an animal 
Now, imagine how much more that would be compounded by the fact that you are legitimately scared for your life. It's not like the animal's charging you when you're trying to shoot at it. That person is actively trying to shoot at you when you're trying to shoot them. So yeah. how, ca- like, how can you expect yourself to be accurate, thinking well enough to remember that you even have the gun on you? Like, it, it just, it seems very unlikely and is proven to be in, you know, multiple, multiple, like, mass shootings. We have very, very rare instances of anybody being able to take out the shooter with a gun, aside from a trained police officer who is going in as a SWAT team that is you know, intended to take out the shooter. Right, because that's their fucking job. And that's their training. It's to not do that. the thing is, it's not your job as a civilian to try and hunt down bad guys. Right. Now another thing so this is another kind of statistic that goes to show that guns don't really do what we think that they do. So a study by the New England Journal of Medicine found that having a gun in the home was strongly and independently associated with an increased risk of homicides. So you were three times more likely to die by gun homicide than somebody without a gun. What? Like somebody, is it because like somebody in your own home would kill you? Well, yes, yeah. So somebody in your own home would kill you, you would kill your wife, you're like if somebody breaks in you try to kill them with your handgun by the time that you know you realize that they're in the room and you get the gun in your hands they're already on top of you and they're taking the gun out of your hands to kill you with it because the reality is if you are within 21 feet of somebody someone with a knife can get to you faster than you can pull the trigger to shoot at them if they are within 21 feet of you really so Yeah, so if somebody, um, an intruder broke into your home, by the time they were standing at your bedroom door, it's already too late for you to get your gun. Yeah. It's already too late for, even if you had the gun in in your pillowcase, it's too late for you to try and pull the trigger on them because they, they will get to you faster and be able to stab you before you can shoot them. Wow. And they feel threatened because you have a gun. Right. So really it's fucking useless. Right. In fact, the rate of increase in guns in two separate studies was correlated almost one-to-one with an increase in gun homicide in that area. So there was a 10% increase in the number of guns in an area, and there was a 13% increase in gun homicides in one study. And in another one, there was a 1% increase in guns and a 0.9% increase in gun homicides. It's, like, almost a one-to-one correlation no matter what your scale is. Mm -hmm. If there's more guns in an area, there will be more deaths and gun homicides in that area. Well, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Now, in comparison to other countries, the U.S. is second in gun deaths worldwide. They're only second to Brazil in gun deaths. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. But Brazil also has very lax gun policies, and we'll talk more about some fucked up shit in brazil um a little bit later i genuinely had no idea about brazil yeah most people talk a lot about gun deaths in the united states and they're correct gun deaths in the united states are a huge problem brazil also has a pretty large problem with gun deaths and i don't know all of the factors behind that i'll be honest i looked into it a little but i couldn't get as much information as i wanted so i'll be honest about that now The United States has 120 estimated guns per 100 people. 120? Yeah. 
roughly. Okay, wonderful. So it's it's more guns than there are people. People. Fuck. By contrast, Canada has about 34 per 100 people. Okay. Now, when compared to lo- other large developed countries, the United States has way more gun-related homicides than pretty much anywhere else. We also have yeah. more guns than pretty much anywhere else. 73% of homicides in the United States are by gun. Roughly 34% of homicides in Canada are by gun. 13% of homicides in Australia are by gun. And only 3% of homicides in the UK are by gun. Now, one thing that's important to note, the, Uni- the United Kingdom has very strict gun laws. In fact, most of their police officers do not even carry guns. There are very, very, very few guns in the United Kingdom at all. All of them pretty much are for hunting or for, like, farms. So, very, very few guns in the United Kingdom, and there's only 3% of their homicides are gun homicides. Well, that's um, good. <laughs> yeah. The UK UK has figured out their gun homicide problem. Obviously, they still have homicides, because there's, you know, 97% of their homicides otherwise are not yeah. with a gun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was talking with um, my roommate about this, actually. Like, if you think about it how much more difficult it is to kill somebody if you don't have a gun. A lot of people, even if you're not very accurate with a gun, even if you've never really used one before, you could probably shoot someone in a spot that would cause enough bleeding that they would die. Yeah. If you stab someone, unless you, like, stab them at a a very particular spot... It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to kill them. Strangling someone takes a lot a lot of effort right knives strangling somebody my dad always uses this analogy that like well if you don't have guns then you know people would just stab each other they'd build bombs and it's like yeah theoretically they would build bombs but do you know how many people could successfully like are smart enough to successfully build a bomb very few not a lot of them (laughs) most of those would probably end up hurting themselves in the process Mm -hmm. They're probably and the reality do that. is, is that, like, someone going in with a knife, a lot of, like, not all of the time, but a lot of the time isn't going to be able to kill, like, upwards of five people and cause, like, mass amounts of death. Right. And, I mean, if you look at, like, violence related yeah. to drugs or things like that, it's a whole lot easier to walk into a house and shoot people that you're beefing with than it is to walk into a house and stab them. You're not going to walk into a house full of eight people and try stabbing all of them. You're Mm -hmm. just not going to do it. It's not going to happen. You're going to see a decrease in homicide rates in those mm -hmm. areas. If you're in a fight, because, like, a lot of, like, murders happen between people who know each other. Right. And, like, if you're in a fight with somebody and you're really upset with them, it's a lot easier to get mad and shoot them, like, in the spur of a moment. Especially if you have a gun on you exactly like just like shoot them especially if you're having like a really bad argument or something you're very mad at them like you just fucking take your gun out and you shoot them Um, and then they die it's a lot exactly it's a lot easier to do that than to like strangle them (laughs) or to be angry enough to stab them enough times to actually kill them versus just to injure them significantly and then they go to the hospital everybody's fine you reconcile reconcile later or you you know whatever happens right Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I want to talk a little bit about the Second Amendment. So um, I'm going to start with the history of the Second Amendment, and then we'll talk a little bit about how 
people talk about it today. I will say, I guarantee you will be surprised hearing the shit that I have to say about the Second Amendment. I was surprised. Surprised in a bad way? (laughs) No, surprised in a good way, actually. Well, surprised in in an interesting way. Because all I know about the Second Amendment is that people use it to defend, like, the fact that they want guns. Right. And that's all I knew about it. I grew up in the United States. I have, you know, like I said, extended family that is very interested in guns, very, you know, very pro-Second Amendment. So I, I know very intimately the arguments that gun advocates use. And I was very surprised to learn this information about the Second Amendment. First, I'm going to read it to you and just ask you what the fuck it means. So I'm going to read it right now. So it goes, quote, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So what do you think that fucking means? I understood the second part. (laughs) But you pretty much tuned out the first part, right? Yeah. And that's what gun advocates today do. They go, a well-regulated militia being being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And they just ignore the whole first part, and they only talk about the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's the key mm-hmm. thing that everybody talks about. But okay. So when the Second Amendment was written, it's actually pretty likely that the Founding Fathers were not really thinking about individual rights to own guns. They were more thinking about militias and the state's rights to have, like, small militias or armies to protect their borders and to, moreover, protect the United States as a whole. And that makes more sense. Yeah. So none of the founding fathers used the term bare arms outside of a military context in any of their other writings or letters. Hmm. Okay. Now, the founding fathers also banned black people, slaves, and white men who wouldn't pledge loyalty to the revolution from having guns. Of course they did. Yeah. So it's not that these guys weren't pro-gun control. They just wanted militias to be able to have guns to protect the country. So at the time, it's important to note, guns were very impractical for self-defense. They were only really good for war and for hunting. Um, They were very difficult to load and to aim. It would take several minutes to load a rifle or a pistol. So if somebody was breaking into your house, it's not like you could quickly load your gun and take them out. It would, you know, be way more useful for you to have a sword to protect yourself or your family if someone was coming to rob or harm you in any way. Yeah, okay. So militias at the time were very, very important to military strategy and to like basically the ability to have the united states we had france england spain as well as native american tribes that were all trying to attack and destroy the united states so having a militia was super important to keep every single town and state safe because if you had a sudden you know attack that came up you couldn't call on the u.s army to come in and fight at them you had to have people who had guns who were ready to take them out. Right. So they had Minutemen or militias that were basically ready at a minute's notice to go grab their guns and go and take out the Frenchmen who were trying to attack or the Native Americans who were trying to attack to take back land, right? 
Mm-hmm. So that's what the Second Amendment was written about. That's why we have it. Not for, like, random fucking civilians to have multiple guns to kill other people with. Right. And in fact, for a very long time, the Supreme Court actually refused to rule on whether or not the Second Amendment actually protected individuals' rights to own guns. Really? Yeah. So, essentially, the Supreme Court never ruled on it until 2008. Okay. But, so, there were pieces of this story that come from later, earlier. So, in 1976, Washington, D.C. banned handguns, and they prevented them from being registered in the city. They also wanted to require people who already legally owned handguns to keep them unloaded and disassembled or to keep a lock on them when they were stored. Now, obviously, there were some people who were pretty fucking pissed about that. One of them was Dick Heller, who was a law enforcement officer, and he tried to register a handgun that he wanted to keep in his house, but he was denied the permit to, or, like, the registration to have the gun. And so he decided to sue Washington, D.C. as a result of this. Now, when he sued Washington, D.C., the trial court that took the case ruled in the favor of the city, saying that they could prevent him from registering or owning the gun. But he appealed, and the D.C. Court of Appeals ruled that it was actually in violation of the Second Amendment to prevent him from owning and registering the gun. On July 26, 2008, the Supreme Court agreed that the Second Amendment protected the right of him to own his gun, and more generally, that they protect the right of individuals to own guns even if they were not part of a militia. So (laughs) that's the first Supreme Court ruling that agrees that the Second Amendment protects individual rights to own guns. That was in 2008. So, like, not even 10 years ago. Well, just over 10. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Oh, my God, it's 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's 2021, babe. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like 13 years ago. Oh, God. Fuck. But even still, like, that's a very, very short time ago. I had no idea that that ruling did not happen until, like, within my lifetime. Um, Yeah, that's kind of crazy. It's also important to note that even with this ruling, most forms of gun control are considered to be constitutional, um, and some existing gun control laws have been tested by gun advocates, and they were found to be constitutional by lower courts in the U.S. So it's not that we can't have gun control. It's not that we can't have laws that regulate weapons that require permits or require registration. It's just this one ruling protected his right to have a gun. And it's very recent. It's this interpretation of the, like, Second Amendment in this way is very recent. Right. Now, I want to talk a little bit about gun control. So, Gun control debates are most often centered around white people and what makes them feel the safest and the most comfortable. Historically, gun control has criminalized people of color. So, in the United States, before the Civil War ended, slave codes prevented slaves from owning guns. Now, once the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment freed slaves, they adopted, quote, black codes that were basically created to prevent black people from owning guns. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. We love racism. Yeah, this... You're gonna get really mad here. Oh, God, okay. (laughs) I... 
I was really shocked to learn all of this as well. Like, I was shocked by the Second Amendment stuff, but this stuff was also really fucking screwy. So, since black people in the United States were not citizens, they were not afforded the same rights as the people who are under the Constitution, and they could be very easily prevented from owning guns. So, in 1866, there was a Civil Rights Act that was passed, and it was in an attempt to try and give black people more rights, including rights to gun ownership. However, to prevent this, many states, especially southern ones, put high taxes on guns to prevent poor people, but more importantly, black people, they had systemically impoverished over years, to prevent those people from buying guns. Of course, because, like, why the fuck not, right? Right, right. Like, why not? Yeah. So, one thing that I was also shocked to learn is that Martin Luther King Jr. had many guns in his home to protect himself with. Everybody holds him up as, like, a champion of nonviolence or whatever, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And even he had guns in his home to protect himself with. Um, And many black people... Yeah, many black people have felt that it is necessary to have guns to protect themselves. Malcolm X, like, by any means necessary, took pictures with guns, right? Like... He was very pro-gun, and the Black Panthers actually were very strong gun advocates. And the reason that they were is because, essentially, they needed the guns or felt that they needed the guns to protect themselves with because the police were not going to protect black people. They were not going to help them if they needed help. And, you know, if they called the police, they were more likely to end up dead than helped, right? So they're not wrong. Right. They're fucking right. The police they would end up, they're more likely to end up dead if they called the police. Right. So the Black Panthers actually were some of the first people to take the current interpretation of the Second Amendment, which is basically that it protects their individual rights to guns, which is not something that I was aware of, but it makes sense, right? Like, in the context of, you know, fucking white racist-ass cops are not going to help you, you have to have a gun to protect yourself. Especially if, you know, there's lynchings happening and there are people dying all around you because white people are fucking gross and racist and burning crosses in your yard. You're gonna go get a gun. It makes perfect sense. Now, I'm gonna tell you a little short story about gun control in the United States. Um, So, in 1967, the governor of California signed a law, and it's, I think, one of the first laws in the United States to ban the open carry of guns. Now, open carry is essentially, like, what you see when white people walk around, like, with an AK-47 strapped to their back, and they're like, it's two steps away from being fired. I can legally have it. What's your problem? Right? That's terrifying. (laughs) So, the California governor is the one that signed one of the first of these, like, bans on this type of open carry of guns. This bill was actually written in response to a group of Black Panthers who open carried guns to the state legislature in Sacramento during a session, and they were like, we're legally protected to have these, and they walked into the, like, state legislature building, into the, like, floor where they were debating, a gun control bill, and we're like, we have the right to have these. Now- So, it was because racism. It was because racism, yes. Now, fun fact, that governor of California that signed this bill in 1967 Mm -hmm. was Ronald Reagan. Really? So, 
he actually is endorsed later by the NRA. Um, <laughs> even though, of course he is. Even though he signed a gun control bill. But he signed mm-hmm. the gun control bill because of racism. Because so I'm sure racism. that the, the NRA was like, we'll give you a pass because you were racist about yeah. it. So it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're cool with, with gun control only if you're doing it to be racist. Right. Now, at the time, the Black Panthers actually commonly patrolled the streets with guns to protect people from the police and from racists who would target their communities. And they actually, it worked. Like, the police would show up in a neighborhood and try to be like doing racist shit and the black panthers would be like hey we'd appreciate it if you'd leave and the police would leave um (laughs) but then obviously this law got like signed that prevented them from carrying the guns and then in 1968 also partially in response to the black panthers and to other quote civil unrest mostly protesting because of the vietnam war and because of the civil rights movement the federal gun control act was passed and it Um, imposed stricter licensing laws and stricter regulation of guns. Um, It also prohibited felons from owning guns. So, you know, like, the law that we have now that we've gone through where we were talking about, like, you have to have meet certain criteria to be able to purchase a gun now? Yeah. This comes from the Federal Gun Control Act. Um, Okay, cool. But the thing that you don't know about that is that was actually written out of racism. And it was written at a time when the country was getting, quote, tough on crime and cracking down on Mm. drug offenses and basically disproportionately affecting people of color. Because because the country getting tough on crime really means, like, picking out people of color, specifically black people, because they think that they're more dangerous or because they just are fucking racist like plain out and want to put them in jail right i mean it's the same reason that crack has stronger laws than cocaine and the fact that marijuana charges exist at all it's because reagan wanted to get tough on crime right um tough on crime equals racism Um, right and so a lot of these kind of sting operations and like trying to like catch people for drugs was disproportionately intentionally affecting black people and people of color. Now, 91% of people arrested in gun control and drug stings ended in arrests of black people, specifically. Of course. Because Um, why wouldn't it? In addition, people of color are the most likely to die from gun violence. So, you know, when we talk about black-on-black crime, you know, people of color are most likely to kill each other rather than, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, yes, but that's because we've systemically impoverished and isolated people and given them no other option but to exist in that way. And then we were trying to tell them that they can't have guns to protect themselves from the issues that we're creating within their society, right? Right. Also, Um, people tend to, like I mentioned earlier, people, murder tends to happen within social circles so like someone's more likely to be killed by a friend or a family member or somebody that they're close to right and so if you're living in a society that like may not be outwardly like segregated like legally anyway yeah legally we still are because people of color black people are living in more impoverished neighborhoods and, and realtors also won't sell them houses in other places. 
Right. And if they do manage to get a house in an upper class neighborhood, if they have a homeowners association, other fucking neighborhoods file complaints against them because they think they don't belong or they think they're dangerous or some fucking bullshit like that. Well, and you have things that happen like George Zimmerman where he's tailing Trayvon Martin who was walking through his neighborhood and wearing a hoodie and ended up getting fucking murdered because of it by George Zimmerman and apparently that's fucking legal and okay. Right, because, like, black people just aren't allowed to exist within, like, white communities because they're perceived as more inherently dangerous. And so it creates this segregation where black people, people of color, live in more impoverished neighborhoods and then only interact with each other. So if black people kill more black people, it's because more crime happens within social circles and a black person's main social circle is going to be other fucking black people because the world is so fucking segregated. Right. And not only Ah, that... Sorry, I'm so angry. No, but not only that, but, like, poverty is one of the highest indicators for crime generally. Um, And so when black people have been systemically impoverished in the United States for years, like, what else are they supposed to do? If you can't... If there's not a fucking job in your town... What are you going to do to provide for your family other than, you know, stealing or selling drugs or, you know. Right. Like doing something like to support your mom or something like that. Right. And and especially like think about it. If you have the opportunity to either, you know, work a minimum wage job for seven twenty five an hour or to sell drugs and make way more than that an hour very easily which one are you going to do? You're not going to go work 720 for 725 an hour when, you know, the guy that you've known down the street your whole life is saying, "Hey, I can give you a good job that'll support you and your family and you'll have enough money to pay your mom's medical bills." Like it's right. just not going to happen. And, and so also, if you get like a job at a restaurant or something, you're more likely to experience racism. You're less likely to be hired and you're more likely to be fired. Right. So like and even if you choose the job to begin with if you get fired from it because your boss is a fucking racist what are you gonna do now that you don't have a job and you probably can't get another one because you don't have a resume because your last bob your last job just fired you right exactly and every job that you need nowadays requires some sort of like previous work experience right so the reality is we've created a problem that we don't want to acknowledge in like, the way that we police and gun control and do things within black communities, right? Mm-hmm. In addition, stand your ground laws allow for people to defend themselves with guns um, if somebody's attacking them, but black people commonly will get arrested and killed for using these stand your gun laws, or sorry, stand your ground laws to defend themselves. Yep, because, um, okay, like, if a police officer thinks that a white person might have a gun he'll just get arrested potentially you know right or is a danger he might just get arrested if a black if a police officer thinks that a black person may have a gun or might be a potential danger he ends up fucking killed 90 percent of the time and we have an example of this direct thing in philando castile he was driving he got pulled over the police officer came up to the window and he said just so you know i have my gun in the car with me I have the permit to have it. It's a concealed weapon. It is in my car. I just want you to be aware that I have it. The police officer was like, don't reach for it. He was like, I'm not going to reach for it. I have my hands on the steering wheel. I'm not reaching for my gun. 
police officer goes, don't reach for it. And then the police officer shoots him, even though he was not reaching for his weapon and had notified the police officer that he had it like he is supposed to do. Right, because, like, generally, a lot of police officers are fucking racist. Right. And and the thing is, he was, there was no justice for his murder. Nobody gave a fuck. Because he's black. Right, right. And, like, nothing ever happens to police officers who kill black. Nothing ever happens to them. Right. We saw this in the Breonna Taylor case. Nothing fucking happened. These police officers walked in. And her boyfriend did the her thing boyfriend, that you, you say that, or pol- white people say that he, they should, in that he was he trying to arrested. defend himself. Right. And then he got arrested. And these were plain clothes police officers. They weren't even in fucking uniform. They didn't identify themselves. They just broke into the apartment, killed his girl- girlfriend. So he pulled out his gun and started shooting them. Right. Which, Which is like, exactly what these people who try to defend their Second Amendment rights argue for. And then... Like, those same fucking people were fine when he got arrested. Right, exactly. Because the reality is, those are the same people who are racist. Right, absolutely. And the reality is, like, we aren't even 100% sure at this point what gun control laws work and which ones don't. We have some idea, like I mentioned earlier, the couple of studies that we know about guns, about how increases in guns increase gun homicides, and then you know, which gun laws can help prevent people from killing themselves with a firearm. But we don't really have a lot of research on any other gun control laws that actually work because the NRA wants to prevent us from studying guns. Of course. Um, Of course. Because they just want to make their money. Right. So we really only have this history of racist gun control policies that are systemically created to, you know, further oppress black people, right? But we don't have any idea about any other gun control laws that aren't just fucking racist that could actually help people because the NRA doesn't want them. So the effectiveness of various gun control policies is just, we have no idea. We just don't know. Question mark. Who the fuck knows? Well, like, why don't we look at a country like the UK and see, well, they must be fucking doing something, right? Well, the thing that you have to remember, though, babe, is that the UK is full of socialists who don't understand what it's like to live in America. Right. Because the UK <laughs> is such a socialist country. Right. Ha, ha, ha. I, I, I'm joking. I just... No, no, I just I have to argue from their perspective, right? But, so, I want to launch into my forever long rant about the NRA. It's gonna be long. I'm terribly sorry. But here it goes. So, initially, and this is going to blow your fucking socks off, the NRA was not what it is today. It was not created to fight against gun laws or to protect individuals' rights to bear arms. It had none of those ideas in it to begin with. In fact, it was founded by aristocrats who were focused on helping people improve their marksmanship. Um, What? Yeah. (laughs) what the fuck the nra was founded in favor of gun control and they actually initially helped to draft laws that controlled gun use this included requiring concealed weapons permits registry of firearms that were sold and a 32-day waiting period on handgun sales so like they just took like a 90 fucking degree turn so we'll get to it 
Um, so the one of the founders of the NRA didn't actually even think that controlling firearms was in conflict with the Second Amendment. When they asked him about it, he was like, well, I never really thought about it. And they were like, all right, bud. So the NRA also supported the racist gun control laws that were created in the 1960s. And they okay. also supported gun laws that prevented people from ordering rifles in the mail. Now You this, can order rifles in the mail? So you used to be able to. Now you can order them online, so it doesn't matter. But, um... Oh my god. You can just get, like, a fucking Amazon package of a fucking gun? I think so. I don't know. I haven't looked. Don't quote me on that. Either way, you can drive down to your loca- local sporting goods store and buy one and get it today, so... <laughs> in some places. But, so, the reason that they were very for this law is because Lee Harvey Oswald actually bought the gun that he shot JFK with through the mail. What? Yeah. So they were like, yeah, it's probably a bad idea. If if anything can, you know, hurt the president like that, we probably shouldn't have it. <laughs> oh my god. In fact, the NRA that we know today really did not exist until 1977. So the president of the NRA was, at that time, looking to move the headquarters of the NRA from Washington, D.C. to Colorado Springs. And he was going to shift the focus from, like, gun lobbying to sportsmanship and, like, outdoorsmanship and just, like, helping people improve their shooting and, you know, responsibly handle their weapons. Again, this is in a time when most people would have said that they had their guns either for hunting or target practice. So the NRA really wasn't, it wouldn't have been doing anything controversial to start shifting their focus and you know, stop doing any lobbying and to just kind of start doing, like, gun trainings and, you know, how to safely handle your firearms and things like this, right? But the president of the NRA did not realize that at this time there were actually shifting demographics because of the unrest in the country surrounding all kinds of different things. So at the 1977 NRA membership meeting, Harlan Carter, the head of the NRA's lobbying wing, staged a coup against that president that was planning on moving everything to Colorado Springs. And this is commonly referred to as the revolt at Cincinnati. So instead of having that shift towards, like, just, like, teaching people about their guns and, like, outdoorsmanship and things like that, they instead really intensified their lobbying. One thing that's important to note, though, is that the power of the NRA is not just because they have lobbying and they spend a lot of money on lobbying. It's also because their membership and organization is so good. Every, pretty much everybody who shoots is part of the NRA in some form or has a very good, like, favorable opinion toward the NRA. Whether that's just for hunting or for self-defense or target shooting or whatever else, pretty much everybody's involved in the NRA if you have a gun. So that's 40% of American households. And everybody really likes the NRA that shoots. Like, everybody likes that they have training seminars, they have concealed carry classes, they teach, you know, responsible gun ownership in the eyes of, you know, gun owners. So they have a lot of very civically engaged members, and that gives them a lot of sway in not just national politics, but also local and state politics. So even though 60% of Americans support stricter gun control, 
no anti-gun organization has a similar membership or support of the NRA. There's no one anti-gun organization we can point to and say they're fighting for gun rights and we like them. Or fighting against gun rights and we like them. Now, one thing that's important to note is that as much as the NRA does in the United States to fuck over our gun laws and to prevent gun studies and prevent good gun control bills that actually keep people safer, the NRA is also responsible for looser gun laws internationally. What? Yeah. So they're actually interested in foreign gun laws because they consider gun control anywhere to be a gun, a threat to gun rights everywhere. So, but like this, like okay, if you think about it, right? <sighs> being able to point to the UK and say they don't have a gun problem, there are no mass shootings there, there's no problems there, makes it so that it's harder to argue that the United States does not have a gun problem, right? Right. Okay. So I'm gonna give a few. In- examples of NRA fuckery elsewhere. They've been involved in stopping gun legislation in Brazil. If you remember, Brazil is the only country in the world that has more gun deaths than the United States. So in 2016, Brazil had 43,000 gun deaths, which was like 6,000 more than the U.S. at 37,000. Now, they decided that they were going to try to pass a law that banned the sale of guns and ammo to citizens, but gun lobbyists there reached out to the NRA and were like, hey, what do we do? So the NRA sent them talking points and information and some money to try and run some ads that would prevent this gun legislation. Now, I would just like you to think up what kind of an ad the NRA would run in Brazil. I genuinely do not know. Just, just take a, like a, just a stab. Like, what, what does the NRA say all the fucking time to defend having guns, especially handguns? It's your right to defend yourself against other people who have guns because gun violence is so high in Brazil. So, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Yep. And that exact talking point found its way into an ad that ran in Brazil, and Brazil ended up successfully blocking the legislation that would have prevented the sale of guns to citizens. Oh, so they are having tons of gun deaths because of the NRA, which is an organization founded in the United States. Right. So Uh, not only is the United States, like, having a horrible, horrible, like, gun control problem, but is indirectly or directly also responsible for a gun problem in Brazil. Yes. Fucking hell. Or at least a continuing of a gun problem in Brazil. Right, right. right. The continuation of it. Right. So the NRA is also helping to spread guns abroad. So they, the way that they do this is they're working to make it easier to buy, sell, and use guns in the United States. And by doing that, we have a negative impact on all of our neighbors. For instance, 70% of all the guns that could be traced in Mexico, they came from the United States. Of course they did, because why not? There's only one gun store in Mexico. So instead of buying guns in Mexico, most people will have someone else buy them a gun in the U.S. 
So wow. the NRA has actually funded laws to stop tracking guns and gun crimes in the United States. They've made it really like some of our laws surrounding what's called straw purchasing of guns. They make those laws really weak. And in fact, currently there is no legislation or penalty against trafficking guns. So straw purchasing is essentially if you can't buy a gun, you'll have somebody else buy a gun for you and then they'll just give it to you and you'll just like pay them the money that they paid to the gun store, right? And there's no penalty for trafficking guns in the United States. That's kind of ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not just Mexico that has a gun like gun problems because of the United States. 29% of Guatemalan guns can be tra- traced back to the US. 46% of guns in Honduras can be traced back to the US and 49% of guns in El Salvador can be traced back to the US. Oh my god. I hate it. I so hate basically, it so much. Most of the countries that have gun problems or significant really high like gun homicide rates are in the Americas. Now, the reason that they have those problems largely is because they purchase those guns in the United States and then traffic them to other countries. Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah. Now, the NRA funds guns in other countries, but its supporters are also some of the people who argue for the most immigration policies that prevent people from being able to flee from gun violence and gun crimes in their countries of origin, respectively. So the NRA is using the narrative that, oh, the immigrants are coming here, they're dangerous, ooh, we need guns to protect ourselves from them, to make looser gun laws in the United States so that they can then sell those guns to other countries, create gun problems in other countries that make the people in those countries want to come to the United States, and it's a circle. Like a big circle of horribleness. Right. And it's exactly the same people that are doing all of those things. So they use immigration surges and fear-mongering to argue for less gun policies that then funnel guns to other countries and then push people to come to the United States. This is just like... I feel numb. Depressing as fuck, yeah. (laughs) So one shining light of hope at the end of the tunnel is that currently the NRA is actually in some trouble. So this is a complicated situation and I'm going to try to make it simple, but it's, I mean, we've already done a lot today. So just try and stick with me for the last little bit here. So Wayne Lapierre is the current president of the NRA. And he was accused of fraud by Oliver North, who used to be the president of the NRA and then was still working for the organization. And so Wayne Lapierre was accused of being fraudulent and doing really, like, gross things money-wise. Well, as a result of saying that Lapierre was being fraudulent, North was fired. And the NRA decided to sue him. Okay. So they were like, defamation, whatever. Now, North decided to counter Sue, saying he was a whistleblower and that he was trying to out LaPierre for frivolous spending and for misusing the NRA funds for his own personal gain. Now, that's just the setup for what else I'm going to talk about. But the important thing is, 
North is the, like, guy that was trying to out this situation, and he's trying to sue the NRA. But at, based on the information that North provided, New York decided, the state of New York, the New York Attorney General and the state of New York decided to launch an investigation into the NRA and see if what North was saying about them was true. Now, New York and the Attorney General are deciding to sue the NRA for financial misconduct and funneling NRA funds into their own pockets. Now, this is important because while North could have, you know, sued and gotten some money and, you know, financial compensation from himself, he wouldn't have actually been able to do anything to stop the NRA or to stop Wayne LaPierre. He really would have just, like, outed the situation and no one would have really cared and he would have got some money and gone home. But since New York is suing them... New York can actually do something with that lawsuit. So they're trying to dissolve the NRA. They want to make it so that the NRA can no longer operate in New York. And they have basically shown that the leadership of the NRA, Wayne LaPierre and a few other people, lost $64 million in a three-year period to frivolous and unethical spending. Oh my god. So they were misusing funds for personal gain, using funds to ensure the loyalty of employees. Um, they had expensive trips that were, like, personal trips. They were not for the NRA or for, like, you know, gun advocacy or anything like that. They were, like, safaris to Africa and, like, trips to the Bahamas and stuff that they paid for using the NRA's funds. There were mm -hmm. trips that LaPierre sent his family members on that he didn't even go on himself that he paid for out of the NRA account. What? Yeah. He also bought expensive clothing. He hired a travel agent. Even though the NRA, in its bylaws, requires that they should do all travel booking through the NRA itself, he hired a travel agent that he spends $19,000 a month on. I mean, all I'm gonna say is, I'm not surprised that the president of the NRA kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> LaPierre is named individually in the New York suit, but they're also suing the NRA as a whole and a few other individuals who are involved in the corporation that were kind of covering up this misuse of spending. In addition to this, like, gross misuse, he also set a rule that makes himself the CFO of the NRA until he decides he doesn't want to be anymore. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. If he ever retires, he wrote into a contract that the company will pay him a million dollars a year. Some board Fuck. members were trying to blow the whistle on him, but they faced intimidation and retaliation. Obviously, North himself was fired, but all other people had tried to, like, get this stopped, and they couldn't. And North was basically the only one that had the guts to actually do it. The New York Attorney General is obviously trying to dissolve the NRA, but can she? So, because the NRA is a charity, they are subject to the laws of every state, including New York. And also, the NRA was founded in New York, so that gives them a little bit more sway over the company, or the organization, I guess. I shouldn't say company, because technically it's an organization, it's a nonprofit. So, a state can sue organizations that don't follow the state law. And in fact, the Donald J. Trump Foundation was dissolved by New York for violating state law for Ooh. improper transactions. We love that. Yeah. So in June 2018, Trump used money from the charity for personal and political interests. 
And the judge agreed and basically shut down the Trump or Donald J. Trump Foundation. He distributed money from the charity, saying it was from himself, but he actually took the money from the charity, which is illegal. And if New York wins the suit that they're, like, currently filing, they also want to redistribute the assets of the NRA. So, essentially, this could be really fucking bad for the NRA. It wouldn't necessarily completely shut them down. They could always kind of reorganize a little bit somewhere else. But if they were to... if the attorney general was given the authority to redistribute some of their assets, that would also really fuck them over. Well, I hope that happens. Yeah. Now, some people say that since the NRA actually does the things that they say they do, they should be able to continue because, like, they actually do advocate for gun rights and sportsmanship or whatever. But other people are saying, well, would we give that like, same caveat to anyone else for any other reason? Or is this, like, a political thing that you guys are just trying to keep the NRA around because of the political things that they do, right? And it's the latter. It's because they're just trying to keep them around for the political things that they do. Right. But at the same time, the people who advocate for the NRA would say, well, but you're just trying to shut them down because of the political things that they do, right? Mm, Yeah. The latest update on that particular case is that in January of this year, a judge decided that they were not going to dismiss the case. They were going to continue to hear it and to continue to, I don't know, investigate and find out more information. So, essentially, we could see a very big change in the NRA as a result of this suit. If nothing else, they would lose a lot of their leadership. They would have to no longer operate in New York And they probably would lose some of their money, if not most of their money. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, the NRA fucking sucks, and they've been a problem for a long time, but Mm -hmm. it's possible that they might not exist anymore, which is great. I already had disdain for the NRA going into this episode, but, like, after the things that you've told me today, I like them even less. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, that's gun violence, largely in the United States. I talked about a few other places, but I mean, this episode is fucking long already, so. That was great and very informative, and I'm sorry that I got so angry at some parts. (laughs) No, I think it's very valid. The The thing about this, I am mad at everyone from top to bottom. Like, yeah. Even people who were, you know, pushing for gun control, I'm mad at them because they were being fucking racist. Like, like I I feel like wh- everything inevitably always leads back to racism. Yeah. Like, when you trace everything back, everything leads back to racism. And it's just, like, gross, and it makes me angry, and it makes me mad, but it's something that we gotta talk about. Yeah. So, but this was a really, really good episode, and you did great research on it, and I feel much more informed than I did at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, and I really hope that you guys all come out of it learning something, and hopefully we'll be able to incorporate some of these thoughts and ideas into our later episodes. I'd like to get a little bit more into some of the statistics behind murder itself at some point. But this mm-hmm. is, this, I I mean, I had so much that I wanted to talk about. There was only so much space, so. 
yeah i mean this is a long like i feel like god and violence in general is such a broad topic that there's so many things to talk about right but it was really good thank you yeah thank you for letting me rant for a long time (laughs) (laughs) if you guys you know found this episode informative and you have anything to add or any thoughts to share go let us know on our instagram or on our twitter the links to both of those will be in the show notes below our instagram is at fatal tales and our twitter is at fatal tales pod you can also send us an email at fataltales at gmail.com <laughs> and yeah i guess that's all and remember guys be gay and don't do crimes or at least don't get caught okay bye guys bye